0: Well, we're excited you're with us today is the second week of Advent, which means it's the second week in our series Christmas Party, Uh, and as we're anticipating the coming of Christmas and this whole Advent season, we've been taking time to remember what is the party really all about and, and to really celebrate and look at Christmas and take stock of what Christmas is all about from heaven's perspective and to realize that all of heaven can barely contain itself because of what Christmas means For your redemption. In Luke 15, we read that great truth. There's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. You see, Christmas is primarily about your redemption, my redemption. It's about what Jesus came to do for you. And so we celebrate Christmas as pointing to the birth of Christ, but God with us as as Christ in the flesh is ultimately all about Christ's death for us on the cross. That's what it's about. And, and uh, from the perspective of heaven, Christmas is all about humanity. It's all about the rescuing of humanity, the redemption of humanity, uh, and that's worth celebrating. That That is what heaven is celebrating. And so our goal for this series is to look at Christmas from that perspective, to review those well-known sources under a different light, and to see the eternal picture of what's going on. And so last week we talked about God's eternal party planning and the great lengths he went to to prepare for our salvation. And so let's stay on that theme of parties. Uh, And let me ask you a question. What's the worst kind of Christmas party? Go ahead, whisper to your neighbor, tell them what you, what do you think is the worst kind of Christmas party? Now I, uh, I love pretty much everything about Christmas, so it may surprise you to know that there's actually something about Christmas I don't like. There is one form of Christmas party I dread. It's not the white elephant party, I'm down with crazy presents, so let's do that. It's not the the office Christmas party, I don't dread those, I, I like those. Uh, it's not the family get-togethers around Christmas, they're great, even when you got the weird cousins and all the, I, like, I love all of that. It, it's not the party with the Christmas games and trivia, I like playing those too. It's not even the ugly uh you know, Christmas sweater party. I, I, I'm down for all all of those things, but the Christmas party I do not want to be invited to is the Christmas caroling party. I am sorry if you love it. I hate it. I don't even dislike it. I hate it. I, if you invite me, I will find an excuse to not be there. And I I don't know why it's so deep in me. I like they just this. Why well, I just don't like it so much, but. Uh, I, there's a couple of reasons, I think. Partly, it just feels awkward. Like, can we disagree? It's, it's awkward for everybody. It's awkward for the singers. It's awkward for those who are listening. It's just for everybody. Number two, I can sing. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a great singer, but I can sing. And most of y'all can't. And you want me to carol with you, and that doesn't work for me. S- third, Christmas music can sound really good, but it's really hard to make it sound Really good, especially with all the aforementioned people that can't sing. And so, you know, and by the way, I feel the same way about karaoke, all karaoke, but particularly Christmas karaoke, which, let's be honest, is just Christmas caroling. Uh, and so, I do appreciate the idea behind karaoke. Uh, you love the song. You love the artist. You want to have your moment. You want to share that moment with them. You want to be able to sing the same song. It's like you can't help yourself. You just got to do it. Now, why why am I even bringing this up right now? Here's why. Today's message is titled Karaoke Party. And maybe you can guess by that title where we're going to go in the Christmas story. But I think this is such a great call—a picture of our call as believers. Because what is karaoke other than boldly singing a song that you probably have no business singing publicly? And what is the call to share the good news of Jesus if not a call to boldly proclaim a message that in your opinion, you don't have the confidence to share? And yet what I think we can learn from today's passage is that the gospel is truly meant to be shared with everyone and every believer is capable of sharing the gospel. That's what I want you to walk away with today. So turn with me to Luke chapter two, if you will. If you use one of our Bibles, we'll be on page 614. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. If you don't own a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll just give you this as a gift. Now, uh, again, maybe you already guessed where we're going today, but if you didn't guess, we're going to look at the story of the shepherds and the angels. Now, Luke was a physician Uh, Luke, the one who wrote this book down, was a physician, and he was very concerned with details. So what you get is a very detailed account of Jesus' birth, and not just about his birth, but about the historical realities of the time surrounding this. And if you read the first two chapters of Luke's gospel on your own time, he gives a historical and a political backdrop to the time of the birth of Christ. He was born during the reign of a leader named Caesar Octavian Augustus. Uh, We talked last week about how God would often use historical situations to actually fulfill so many prophecies about Christ's birth. Uh, Well, the census that was taken at this time was no exception, as it forced Mary and Joseph to travel to Bethlehem, where Jesus would then be born, fulfilling that prophecy out of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village... uh, among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in distant past will come from you on my behalf. So think about the the time of Jesus' birth, okay? They were under Roman imperial occupation. Uh, Political and social forces are working against the Jews. There's no help in sight. There's no relief in sight. And you could draw whatever parallels you want to today as far as societal and political unrest. Uh, But is anyone finding it harder and harder to be excited for Christmas. Now, some of you, we take different approaches to this. Some of you, you're decorating earlier and earlier, diving into all things Christmas, like way early as a way of sort of insulating yourself in this season from reality. And, and I would be more guilty of leaning into that camp. Uh, and then there's others, you just can't even find it within yourself to, to decorate, to put up the, the tree or to put the lights on the house uh, because uh, it, you just can't get excited. Christmas traditions are feeling harder and harder to maintain because all is not calm all is not bright in our world, and, and the, the circumstances Christ was born into, they were far from joyful, okay? Uh, heavy governance, heavy taxation, uh, inflation, increasing poverty. It's estimated at the time that the, the, the mortality rate among infants and young, young people, that three out of 10 young people did not make it to age 14. And in the middle of that mess, God sent his son We read, Paul writes in Galatians chapter four, verse four, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. Some translations say in the fullness of time, God came. So the idea here is that in the middle of the mess, God threw a party. In the middle of the mess, God threw a party because as it turns out, bad times are really great times for some good news. And to be very clear, Jesus Christ is the good news. We keep reading Galatians 4 verse 5 says this, God sent him, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. See, Christmas is primarily about your redemption. God sent his son in the fullness of time to redeem you and me. There could not be better news in the midst of a broken world. Now for a thousand years, God has been sending out invitations. Finally, the time comes God throws a party and no one shows up. I mean, the son of God is born to Mary in Bethlehem. She gives birth in a stable because there's no room for them. And and the only ones present are Joseph and a bunch of animals. And God thinks, well, I probably should send out one more party invitation. And that's where we pick up our story in Luke chapter two, starting with verse eight. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, in my mind, that, sound, that doesn't sound all that bad, but God seems to have a, had a thing for shepherds over the years. Abraham was a shepherd. He became the father of many nations. Moses was a shepherd for 40 years before he became God's messenger and before God used him to deliver the Israelites from slavery. Amos, the Old Testament prophet, was a shepherd that God gave a message to and he shared with the people. And King David, from whose line the Messiah would come, was a shepherd before he was a king. He was a shepherd boy before he became a king. So God has a track record of highly valuing shepherds, and yet the world does not. The world has ha, doesn't share that sentiment. They were, shepherds were seen as low on the social ladder. They were common. They were untrusted. They were nomads. They were wanderers. Uh, they, they could not fulfill all the scriptural requirements in order to be at the temple a, 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 as far as cleanliness, so there was a separation between them and any sort of religious system. And ironically, the shepherds that we're talking about would have been watching the temple sheep which would be the very lambs that would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And so uh, the lambs were important, but the shepherds were not. They were as common as people could be and not who you would entrust an announcement like this to. Uh, and I, I think that was sort of God's point in choosing them. I don't think he does anything accidentally. We read in verse 9, it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Now, usually, I, I, uh, when I read this, I focus on the angels and the shepherds, and we've talked a lot about how you know, the shepherds were afraid and how fear was common when the angels showed up. And from Genesis to Revelation, you see kind of the same reaction to angels in this, this don't be afraid of them. Fear seems like a proper response to the angels' appearance. But as I was studying for today, I noticed something that I somehow missed over and over and over again in this passage. Look at what the passage says surrounded them. It says, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. See, as amazing and intimidating as the angels may have seemed, it wasn't their glory that shone all around them. It was the radiance of the Lord's glory. In other words, God was there in their midst. When God's glory shows up in Scripture, it's a big deal. He showed up to Moses on the mountain, and Moses' whole face glowed after being in God's presence. When they built a tabernacle of God's presence uh, to dwell in, his glory would fill the tabernacle so much so that no one could enter the Holy of Holies. And it's the same presence of God that surrounds them that night. And so it's no wonder fear enters the picture. I mean, can you even imagine what that was like? But here's what I think is the most key part to the whole thing. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. This picture that God's glory was shining on everything, on on the angels, on the shepherds, on everything around them. And I think there are two truths that we cannot afford to miss here. First truth, never assume because of the way things are in this world that God is not present. Not only is God's presence surrounding them with the angel, but the angel is about to announce the presence of God in an entirely new way through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Incarnation simply means the taking on of our flesh when Jesus became a man. So never assume, just because of the way things seem around you, that God is not present. Second thing, never assume because of who you are that God won't share his presence with you. Now this one, even as I wrote it, it was doing a healing work in me because it's so easy to tell myself, God can't use you. God appeared to the shepherds on this night On purpose, so that all of humanity could look back and see, you know what? God can work through anyone. He wants to use you, He wants to work through you. We read this in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Listen, truth is just different in the kingdom of God. All through scriptures and definitely in the gospels, what we think is right is often turned upside down. He says, do not take revenge, but serve your enemy. He says, don't repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. He says, if you want to save your life, you have to be willing to lose it. He says, those who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. Whoever, whoever wants to be great among you must become a servant. He said, the Savior himself came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Everything in God's kingdom is upside down. So why wouldn't it make sense for God to send his son, Jesus, the king of the universe, the savior of the world, and have him be born to unwed parents in a barn? And the first people to visit would be dirty shepherds. Yeah, that sounds about like God. That sounds about like his upside down story. And I love the redemptive language we see here. It says, because he wants to make sure the disciples don't miss what he's saying. He says it over and over again. He says, I'm bringing good news to you. It's for all people, but I'm bringing it to you. The Savior's born to you. You're the ones who are gonna recognize him and I'm sending you. And you will find the baby lying in a manger. Listen, is your faith, an all people faith, or is your faith about what God is saying to you? One of the things we can learn from the shepherds is that the whole, while God's message is for everyone, and while the good news of Jesus is for everyone, the relationship God wants is with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to work through you. At the beginning, I told you the name of this message was karaoke party. This is where we actually get to the party. Verse 13. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And the key word here is suddenly. You ever heard you heard of a pop-up party or a flash mob? There's these moments where You're sitting there and all of a sudden, boom, this thing's happening right around you. This kind of has that feel to it. The message ended and suddenly there are a multitude of angels that are praising God. And while we don't know that they were singing for sure, the army of angels appears and they are partying. It's almost like the angels couldn't help themselves, like they couldn't wait any longer to get the party started. They couldn't contain their praise of what God was doing. Think about this from the perspective of heaven, okay? Think about this. The angels knew the creator. They were there when the creation happened. They were there when the earth was void and they got to watch God speak and create mountains and oceans. They watched him create all types of living creatures. They heard the father say to the son, hey, let's create a creature in our image. And they watched in awe as he formed humanity in his image. They they watched as he breathed the breath of his spirit into Adam. And then they watched as God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then they watched in horror as humanity chose to rebel against God. They watched the Israelites fail for centuries over and over and over to get back on track. And then one day, in the fullness of time, they watched God send his son to do what humanity was incapable for doing for itself. The world may have overlooked the birth of Jesus that night, but not the angels. The angels of heaven were throwing a freaking party because they knew what this meant for every single one of us. They knew the redemption of man was at hand, and because all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And again, we don't know. We don't know that they were singing, but we've imagined it. And, and, and in the music world, there is a song that was written to try to get us to imagine what those angels might have sounded like. You might have heard it. It sounds like this. And again, now this is a party, so it probably sounded more like this. Listen, here's the point. The birth of Jesus Christ is worth celebrating. The angels start throwing a party. They start praising God, giving him all glory for what he's done on heaven and what he's doing on earth. And they are proclaiming something that's of critical importance. They say, peace, peace on earth to those with whom god is pleased or many translations say to those upon whom his favor rests and so the picture is that peace is available to everyone but it's not promised to everyone it's only promised to those upon whom his favor rests and so you might say well how do you get the favor of god can you can you earn it can you can you be good enough can you buy it do you, do you earn it by being better than the person next to you no There's only one way to the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, which means that God's favor rests upon those who put their faith in Jesus. The implication is that people need to know about Jesus It's almost as if the angels are saying to the shepherds, hey, God gets all the glory for making a way to heaven, but his peace is only for those who find Jesus, so go tell everyone about Jesus. And they do. We read this in verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Well, there was no time lost. They took off right away. I I want to point out some things that that are not missing here. When it comes to obedience of the shepherds, they were not lacking an urgency about Jesus. They were like, they left right away just based on what the angel said. They were also not lacking faith in what had happened. They said, let's go see this thing that what? That has happened. They had faith. This thing happened. And when they find Jesus, it's just a confirmation of them, but it's confirmation of what they already knew to be true. And this is the beautiful thing about the obedience that we see in the shepherds. But listen, they didn't. Uh, we know the story. We know the rest of the story. Is it fair to say if they had stopped here, if they'd found Jesus, went, "Wow, it's true, He's there," and then just went back to the fields, that they would have missed a huge part of their calling? See, this is where I think too many believers stop. We hear the truth about Jesus. We come to believe that truth and we go, oh, thank you, God. And many believers have a true sense of urgency about the lost. We are not lacking urgency. We are not lacking faith. But what so many Christians are lacking is what comes next. Verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. The shepherds told everyone. And this is where I think a lot of Christians drop the ball. The number one excuse I hear from so many believers for why they don't share their faith more often or at all is that I don't feel like I know enough about Jesus. We don't know God's word well enough, Pastor Phil, to share about it. We don't want to mess it up. Well, that's like saying, we can't sound like the angels. So we're not going to share the message at all. Listen, Sharing your faith isn't for professionals. To use our analogy, this ain't American Idol. This ain't The Voice. This is a karaoke party and everyone can sing. Everyone needs to hear your voice. Voice. If God had wanted only professional religious folk to carry the message, He'd have chosen them. But God chose the shepherds very intentionally, shepherds who had not been ceremonially cleansed, shepherds who worked a common job in the fields, shepherds who by nature had a low reputation because He wanted us to know that this uncommon truth is good news, not just for a certain group of people, but for all the world, from the most famous to the most common. God brought the gospel to common shepherds so that we would know the gospel is for everyone. And so we would know that everyone has the job of carrying and sharing the gospel with everyone we meet. And this is why we encourage you to to throw a Christmas party in a box and to have people into your home and do all that. And, And many of you took that resource and were excited about that. But listen, the shepherds were the first witnesses to the gospel. They saw the Savior and then they shared that truth with everyone. From the beginning of this redemptive act of sending Jesus, God has always been setting the gospel where everybody can reach it. All he needs is for believers to take the next step, and after we see Jesus, to tell other people who haven't met him yet. So what's the lesson we can learn from the shepherds? Well, that depends entirely on how you see yourself in the story. So if you're here today, and you feel insignificant and invisible, uh, for those who Are living life, feeling cast off and neglected and marginalized, feeling hopeless, feeling worthless, feeling too far gone, here's the truth you need to hear today. He chose shepherds. You see, nothing you have done can disqualify you from receiving the good news of great joy. Nothing in your past, nothing in your present, nothing in the future, nothing last night, nothing in the car on the way here. It's yours to accept him in faith. A savior has been born. He's Christ the Lord. And if you look for him, you will find him. And all of heaven is waiting to throw a party for you. But there's also a a flip side to that whole conversation. Maybe you're living a pretty good life. You've been successful and gone to church your whole life and you're comfortable and you got a good job and lots of opportunities. You're really respected by a lot of people. You're just killing it. You're killing it in life. I'm so thankful that you've lived a fairly blessed life. But the hardest part about your kind of life is it's hard for someone in your shoes to see their need for a savior when you don't feel that need on a daily basis. And often for those of us who are that blessed, you need a simple reminder in your life as well he chose shepherds. See, nothing you have done can qualify you to receive this good news of great joy. Can't earn it, can't deserve it, but you do need it. God's choice of the shepherds is a reminder to all of us that none of our standing in God's kingdom is ever determined by our status on this earth. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to 29, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you are wise in the world's eyes, or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by this world. Things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Listen. None of us have ever earned Jesus. All of us need Jesus. And those of us who have Jesus are called to share Jesus. For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the Christmas story is our story. And it's a reminder that we're called to share his story with everyone we know. It doesn't really matter if you think you're a pastor, feel like a pastor, the most you have to feel like is a shepherd. All God is asking you, after seeing Jesus is to tell everyone you know, to tell them how he changed your life. Sharing the gospel isn't meant to be a polished performance. It's karaoke. It's taking what you know about Jesus, being brave enough to share it in your own voice through the power of the Holy Spirit that God's given you. And so here's my challenge. Who will you invite to Christmas Eve? Who's your one that God has been calling you to pray for, calling you to invite, that you need to invite? Who do you need to say, hey, let's go and see what's happened in Bethlehem that the Lord has told us about because tr- Christmas is truly worth celebrating. And when you begin to, to bring the focus back to Christ and when you take the time to share your faith in Jesus and to, to, share, to tell him all the things that you've heard and seen him do, I promise those who see it will be astonished.